Welcome back to the Spooky Rip Jean Mom. My name's Peyton Kennedy. I have not recorded one of these in so long and I am so sorry. I was like super consistent about it, but honestly, preparing to go back home to Indiana to visit family and then Paisley's gotten so much bigger now she is crawling everywhere she's trying to walk it's also the holiday season well it was so retail I was working so much and I was so tired when I came home that I just I couldn't I could not wrap my brain around it I also had to take a pause because I was doing so many of these at one time in the research forum that it got to be so hard for me to sleep at night because I would just have nightmares and super bad anxiety. So I did have to take like a little bit of a mental health break and then the then time just got away from me. It was crazy. And I feel so bad because I had a couple people reach out and ask me if I was doing okay because I hadn't posted a lot recently. But I took my time. I'm back. I'm ready to give you a new episode today, right before the new year. And then hopefully keep up a nice schedule. My husband's very on my case about this. So I I don't want to waste any more time. Let's just go ahead and jump right in to our first episode in a very long time. I'm pretty sure it's episode nine. We're talking about William Howell in Connecticut. He was born February 11th of 1970, which makes him an Aquarius. His mom and dad were very old for parents. They already had three boys before William. And by the time they had William, two of them were already out of the house in college. Um, And because of this, his parents were super lenient with him. They didn't have a lot of rules. He had a ton of freedom. And um, it's even said that his third brother tried talking to their mom about it because he thought it was just way too much. Um, Before Connecticut, William grew up in Virginia Beach. He was described by teachers and friends as outgoing and funny. And he was doing really well in school. He was set to graduate in 1988. But then when he was 15, his mom died of cancer. Um, That really took a toll on him. He ended up dropping out of high school. But while he was in high school, he did have a girlfriend that he got pregnant twice. So after dropping out, he had two kids to take care of. He um, was a drinker heavily and then also had a drug problem. Um, So he was arrested for drugs, learning... larceny oh my goodness and burglary um and he was also arrested in georgia new jersey most of the charges were due to the fact that he you know drinking and his drug habits but a couple of times he was arrested for driving on a suspended license by the time he was 30 though he did finally have a stable-ish job and um he was taking care of his two kids He was, though, having a very unstable relationship with a girl named Dory. They'd be together. He'd be living with her. They'd break up. He'd live in a new apartment, lose that apartment, move in with Dory. It it was a reoccurring pattern. Um, He was a heavy drinker. And then he also did like to buy sex workers. 
In 2002, when he was 31, he took a job with Binco Roofing in Torrington, Connecticut. He also bought a Ford Echnoline um, for $400. He bought it from his ex-girlfriend's mom. And he bought the van because it was good. It ran. It was cheap. But it had enough room to sleep in and keep his belongings. So when he lost his apartment and was not with his girlfriend, Dory, he would sleep in the van. Which he did ask his owner or his boss, the owner of Benco, um, if he could keep his van in the parking lot to sleep in. Which his owner, which his owner, the boss said it was totally fine because William was a hard worker and a, he had a wonderful personality. And William did work there for eight months, but had continued fantasies of rape. After a while, William would describe his van as the murder mobile, which he used the parking spot at his work to rape and murder women, which I don't know how no one noticed. Like, I know it's the early 2000s surveillance cameras super splotchy but i i don't notice i don't know how you don't notice people coming in and out of this van he ended up killing seven women and disposing them or disposing their bodies behind a shopping plaza on hartford road in 2007 which 2007 is when the bodies were discovered all of these women went missing in 2003. So it took four years to discover their bodies. And then some of these women didn't have their body identified until 2015. And I'll go into more of that when I talk about the victims. Uh, and so the area was extremely wooded and marshy. And because of that, you could not get there by car. Um, the location of where it all was caused a delay in investigation and also the recovery of the bodies just because you can't get a van down there to get them, things like that. Now, I have seven victims I'm going to talk about and I searched and searched for more about these victims and there was not a whole lot of information. Now, full accountability, there's a documentary series, a docu-series that I could have easily watched, um, especially with all the time that I took to research this, you know, episode and how much time I took away. But, like I said, part of the reason why I took a break was because it was, doing all of these was just a lot. And I know for sure that that docuseries would probably have brought me anxiety just because of the little details it does give made me sick. So, I do have a little bit of each one and we are going to talk about every single one of them. The first victim was Melanie Ruth Camilleni. She was 29 years old. She went missing January in 2003, but the exact date is unknown. She was described as beautiful. Her mom did say that she had a substance abuse problem. William said he picked her up in February. He took her back to the van, made sexual moves, and then he went to kill her. And he hit her in the head with a hammer. He said, though, that in quotations, she wouldn't die so he strangled her. Then, if that's not disgusting enough, in Connecticut, since it is February, the ground was frozen and he could not bury her body and dispose of it properly. So, he lay next to her body for two weeks, slept next to her, and called her baby. And her body was one that was not identified until 2015. Marilyn Gonzalez she was 26. She went missing from her mom's house. She had two daughters who were 7 and 11. 
She left home on May 16th and was reported missing two weeks later by her mom. Her mom said that the reason why she didn't report her missing sooner is that she tend to run off a lot or would be gone for a couple weeks or a month at a time. So it really didn't shock her, but when she didn't hear from her at all, that's when she reported her missing. And then her body was found behind the West Farm shopping mall in um, April 28th of 2015. The third victim was Janice Roberts. Janice um, was different from her rest, rest of the victims. She was 44 years old. She was last seen on June 18th, 2003 when she was getting into William's van at a stop and shop in Wester, Wethersfield. Um, and she was reported missing June 24th of 2003. Now, William told an informant that when he picked up Janice, they were going to, he had picked her up to have sex with her. But then, as they were getting ready to have sex, he actually found out that Janice was transgender, which made William extremely angry, and he strangled her to death. And then, of course, buried her in the back. Because why the heck not? It's so disgusting. Um, the fourth victim was Diane Cusack. She was 55 years old and she di- disappeared in the mid-2003. Police last had contact with her on July 9th during a landlord-tenant dispute. And her remains were found in 2007 and she was identified in 2011. She also had a substance abuse problem and hadn't spoke to her family in years. So she was actually never even reported missing. Which I think is super sad. Um, number five is Nilsa Erzmendi. And she's very, very important to this case. Because she is the one who cracked it wide open for everyone. Her and her boyfriend. So she's very, 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 very important. So she was 33 years old. And her sister actually called the police and told them that Nilsa hadn't been heard from in seven days. Her boyfriend was a convicted drug dealer, so he was immediately a suspect, but then he was cleared after he passed a polygraph test. Nilsa's sister told police that she was a heroin user and a sex worker who was living in a motel in Weathersfield with her boyfriend. Nielsa's boyfriend told police that they both let William stay the night in their room and that he saw Nielsa at 2.30 a.m. on July 25th, 2003 when she got into William's van. She was then found in 2007, but her body was identified April 28th, 2015 along with the other three bodies. And we will find out when I talk more about the investigation why she was so impactful, especially, well, I mean, you could probably tell. Her boyfriend had saw her get into the van with William, so that automatically triggered something, especially because her boyfriend was, like, proved innocent with the polygraph test because he passed it. So the sixth victim is Joyveline Martinez. She went by Joy. She was only 23 years old. She was also the youngest victim. She went missing on October 10th, 2003, but wasn't reported missing until March 29th of 2004. 
She was last saw in her hometown, which was East Hartford. She lived there with her mother. In high school, she was described as a track star. Very good at school. Very, obviously, she was described as a track star. So, she was a really great athlete, especially when it came to track. Um, But sadly, at the time of her disappearance, she was unemployed. Her remains were some of the first to be recovered in 2007, and she was identified in 2013. The seventh victim was Mary Jane Menard. She was only 40 years old, and she was a substance abuse counselor. She was from Waterbury, Connecticut, and then she went missing on October 2003. Her remains were found in the same shopping plaza in 2007 with the rest of their bodies. So now we're getting into the investigation. As you saw the common thing, something I said before, all seven victims disappeared in 2003. Until Nielsa's case, the rest of the cases were unsolved. They didn't have a single suspect until Nielsa's case, which put William as the number one suspect. Police then went and, you know, got a warrant. They seized William's van in North Carolina And they discovered that several of the seat cushions had been removed. They found blood from two people, and that was underneath some carpet. So they took DNA from Nielsa's relatives and determined that one of the samples was a 99% match to Nielsa. They police also found six videotapes of William having like weird, bizarre sex with women. But the way he had set the camera up and the angle of it, it was extremely hard to, one, see the faces, and two, if he even had the faces in them. So, they couldn't identify who the people were in the videos. Nielsa's body, though, at the time had not been found. So, when the police were first investigating William, he was charged with first-degree manslaughter And then he was later charged with witness tampering because he threatened another inmate. In January of 2007, after the trial began, just shortly, it wasn't too long after, William entered an Alford plea to um, first-degree manslaughter. Now, an Alford plea means that William didn't admit to the crime, But he knew that the prosecution had enough evidence to convict him of the crimes. So, he, it's basically a guilty plea without it being a guilty plea. I don't know. I thought it was stupid. Um, But at William's sentencing, he continued to insist that he didn't kill Nilsa and that he, um had witnessed her and her boyfriend get into a physical fight and that is why the blood was in his van. He also tried to get the Alford plea thrown out. He claimed that he only entered it because his public defender pressured him. William was then sentenced to 15 years in prison. A few weeks later when uh, like a few weeks after his 15-year sentence to prison a hunter actually found the bodies in the West Farm shopping mall in West Hartford. And the only reason why he found the bodies was because he was looking for really good hunting ground. 
And so, like, literally a few weeks after he got sentenced to Nielsa's murder without even having a body for 15 years, all six bodies were found, which I think is crazy. So, where he really messed up was he told, William told an inmate in the jail that he was at that there was a monster inside of him and then he describes himself as a sick reaper. And this part really irritates me because he dubbed himself the sick reaper. Some media outlets actually started calling him that. And I never understand why you play into what serial killers have already like when they name themselves and media outlets call them by what they named them I feel like it feeds their ego and I feel like it gets to be too much in a sense of like why would you call them what they want to be called you know why wouldn't you like William went by Devin I'm not calling him Devin because he doesn't want to be called that why would you not like why would you talk about him like that why would you call him that why would you only refer to him as that like the same with the golden state killer why are you naming them like why are you still calling them that when you figure out who they are just call them by their name it's disgusting um anyway he also told the inmate about how he kept melanie's body now just to recap Melanie was one of the first victims and she was the one who he called baby and slept next to for two weeks. Um, he told this inmate that he cut off her fingertips and then dismembered her body and then took apart the bottom of her jaw. And then he did say he disposed her body parts in Virginia but he also must have disposed some of her body parts in Connecticut because she was found there. That part didn't really make sense to me, but it's okay. Because I know she was found in Connecticut as well. On November 17th, 2017, William Devin Howell was... Devin says middle name. That's the only reason why I said it. Um, was sentenced to six consecutive life sentences after he did plead guilty to the deaths of Melanie, Marilyn, Diane, Janice, Nielsa, Joy, and Mary. So, that Alfred plea that he was trying to get out, that he said, oh no, my public defender pressured me. No, sir. You know what you did, and you're disgusting, and you told an inmate that, and that got you in trouble because you started talking mad. Now, that is the end of this episode. It was really short. Like, I haven't even hit 20 minutes yet. Um, so, my next episode's over Delaware. I'm not gonna say who it is yet, but, uh, and I do promise that it'll be out sometime this week. I 100% promise you that. Um, I have a schedule now of, like, when I need to post and, like, I have an alarm set, so I make sure that I do some research. Paisley goes to bed at 8. I have an hour before sometimes I need to shower before work and things like that. And if I don't have to be at work until 11, I can I can shower at 10. So, I have... And Bailey's home now during the days. Or during nights now. So, I can finally... Like, if I need... 
you know, to work on my podcast for two hours. I have someone here who can help with Paisley better than I have in the past. So that's also very exciting. So I'm excited to go with Delaware and get back to our regular episodes. This short episode was kind of nice just to ease our way back into everything, you know. Um, But I hope you guys had a wonderful holiday and I will talk to you guys later. Love you. Bye.